How many people watched a little tiny bit or more of The Masked Singer? Oh, I thought no one was going to put their hand up. And there's quite a bit of shame attached to this, isn't there? Clearly, everyone's like, yeah, I know it was a bit weird, but we did. Uh, it was very weird, uh, safe to say. It was a very weird programme where sort of celebrities uh, kind of had crazy costumes uh, dressed up as foxes in metallic and a tree. Teddy Sheringham came out as a tree. Uh, lots of different people came in these costumes. And one of the things that they fed back when they were unmasked, we had to get who they were, who was behind the mask. And one of the things that they said that they had in common was a kind of liberation in not being able to be fully seen. In other words, being able to hide, as Kirsty has been saying this morning, that actually they felt less shy, less reserved, and uh, much more free. And uh, that's quite, quite interesting when we look this morning at the whole thing of masks, the masks that we wear. And do we wear masks to church? Do we wear them on social media? Uh, and as I said, you know, more and more do we have a desire to live a kind of false life. These masks can be taken off. And over the next sort of few minutes, we're going to look at how we as church become more and more vulnerable, more authentic with one another. Now, we've been looking at the early church. We've been looking at Do It Again, Lord. And it's been really exciting, hasn't it? Uh, it's been great to look at how they shared everything in common, that uh, we've had all the good news up until this reading. My heart slightly sank when I thought, OK, I get the one where people die uh, and God's seems to kill them. Uh, so thanks for that. Uh, because up until now, it's been a beautiful utopia almost of shared lives, nobody holding anything back, everybody living beautifully, getting on well, being generous. And suddenly, Acts 5, the kind of rubber hits the road a little bit, and things start to go a bit wrong. Self, if you like, starts to get in the way, and the fault lines start to show. I love this picture. <laughs> It made me smile the other day when I stumbled upon it. Um, the reality, the background and the foreground, do they match? Uh, are we really seeing things as they really are? Certainly not there. Uh, somebody kind of posturing, if you like. Uh, truth is, uh, and deception can be all around us. I uh, love this. The trouble with quotes on the internet is you never know if they are genuine. Signed, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, I know we can follow C.S. Lewis on Twitter, but maybe Abraham Lincoln is pushing it a little bit. I don't know. Um, and one of my friends has this as her Facebook page. Uh, and it's so true, isn't it, actually? There's a real warning in this. There's a warning even with the events around Caroline Flack in the last week. Uh, deeply, deeply sad news about people and the, the, the power, actually, of social media and Twitter and the press. May your life be as awesome as you pretend it is on Facebook. I would dare to say this morning that we could put, may your life be as awesome as you pre pretend it is in church or as we pretend it is in life group, or as we pretend it is in triplet. Because if church is to be real, if we are not to be the hypocrites that are the mask wearers that are in this passage, we have to have honesty and authenticity. And I believe our spirits and our souls are longing for that, actually. We're longing for reality in a world that seems increasingly fake sometimes and quite false. We're longing for the authentic. 
A definition of hypocrisy, there are many, but I read this, pretending to be what you are not or to believe what you do not. An act or instance of falseness. And something that I uh, had sent to me a while ago and that I really, really value is let your life sing the same song as your lips. And it's a beautiful phrase, isn't it? But isn't there a little bit of a break in us to think, actually, is that true of me? You know, is the public persona and the private persona the same? And the increasing job that the Holy Spirit has with us, and thank God he does, is that he is changing us to be more and more the same wherever we are, to be more and more authentic wherever God takes us. And if you're here today sussing us out as a church, if you're thinking, I know for my teens I used to look at church and think, are they a bunch of hypocrites? Well, if I can be a bit cheeky, we are. Sorry to disappoint, but that's what you've joined if you've joined today, or maybe you're in there. Now, I will really support that. I don't want to just make an empty statement. In that, we are all sinners here. We are all sinners saved by the grace of Jesus. We are all people who knew that actually in ourselves we weren't enough, that we wanted this love, this forgiveness, this mercy, and this grace. That actually out of that we can be more generous, more loving, more giving, more kind. I wonder what the kindest thing someone has ever done for you. Just think about that for a moment. There's a lot about be kind at the moment on social media, uh, particularly following Caroline Flack's death. But how can we be kind? What is the kindest thing that anyone has ever done for you? I'll tell you what it is for me. Uh, some of you know this. Uh, and uh, I think it illustrates beautifully what I think true generosity is. I was uh, in Bulgaria going to visit an orphanage. Some of you know this story, but it is a beautiful story. And uh, we were going to visit orphans there who had nothing or very, very little. And I was working for a charity who'd sent quilts out because they didn't have covers for the beds for the orphans. And so people had hand-stitched quilts, not me, because I felt they'd suffered enough without me doing any hand sewing for them. That would have been a disaster. But so they were sending out uh, these quilts and we had gone in person to see them and to meet them, to meet the recipients of other people's generosity. And uh, as we walked, I was really nervous. I was thinking, these are orphans. Why are they here? Some of them were there because they'd stolen bread for their families. And they were there. It was almost like a kind of detention center. And uh, I had this little boy come and uh, put his hand in mine and pull me. He didn't speak any English. I didn't speak any Bulgarian, but he took me to show me his bed. And it was a bed among many other beds, a bit like prisons are in this country. And every bed had a table by the side of it. And on that table, they displayed any possession that they had, anything that they'd been able to salvage and keep with them. For some, it was a teddy bear. For some, it was a picture. Uh, and some had a few things. But my little boy, the one with me, had only one thing. He was the only one with only just one thing. And that was a calendar with lots of pictures of animals on and Bible verses, I think, but it was in Bulgarian. And so I went over being very Western, being very sorry, being very materialistic. I went over and I, I was stroking the fox on the picture going this is so beautiful so lovely yours trying to in my kind of western way affirm him that he had this lovely calendar and smile
smiling and saying, it's beautiful, beautiful. And he sort of smiled and said, thank you. And it was literally the only thing he had apart from the quilt on his bed and the clothes that he was wearing. And uh, as we did drama with them, we did different games with them, and then we went to say goodbye, which was really, really hard. And we were all queuing up to get on our coach to go off to where we were staying. And this little person tugged at my skirt, and this beautiful little smile looked up at me, holding out, what? The calendar. For you. And it was all that he had on his table, and yet that's what he was giving to me. And what was so impacting about it was his face because he looked absolutely lit up and delighted to give it to me. And, and it just, I didn't know what to do, of course. I didn't know whether to take it. I was just floored thinking, you know, do I take it, do I not? And of course, I did end up taking it. But that has always stayed with me as a picture of kindness and generosity when you've got nothing. And in this story, we have something almost that is the opposite of that. You know, they've just sold this. They've got all this money. Uh, they're in prosperity at this point, And yet they're holding back. That was a face and a heart that was holding nothing back. And we'll all have stories of kindness, of generosity that melt us. I remember going home and keeping that calendar by my bed for ages, not just to pray for him, but to remind me that I am materialistic by nature and to try and help me me to be more generous, to be more kind. So in the passage, we hear this in verse 2. With his wife's full knowledge, so she doesn't get away with it, he kept back part of the money for himself, this is Ananias, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So we see here collusion between the man and the woman. They're in it together, and that can happen, can't it? We can collude with one another in all kinds of ways and encourage one another in the wrong ways or in the right ways and he kept back part of the money for himself but put what seemed to be the rest at the apostles feet in other words it was an act of mask it was an act of pretense and I wonder when we come into church do we take our masks off or do we put them on uh, Nikki Ferris has written a spoken word for us, and uh, we're going to watch that and listen to that now. People talk about life behind closed doors, but my experience of that is maybe different to yours. Behind closed doors, people fix their hat, straighten up. They look the part. There's no doubting that. Small talk starts with successes, plans, political chats, eyes dotted, T's crossed, talk about this or that. Some cover passions, challenges or reservations but rarely the deeper, uncomfortable conversations. You see, behind closed doors, I see masks and holy mumbles, not the real, honest, heart-exposing grumbles. To get there, the outside becomes the place of truth. On the other side of the doors, 
where there is no roof. Behind these closed doors is where the real is truly seen. The unmasked, unreserved version that's raw and unclean. But it's behind these closed doors where the saviour is found by the tree at the well, drawing lines across the ground. You see, the Jesus that I read of doesn't care for chat indoors. Inside, he challenged cultures and flipped tables onto floors. But outside, behind closed doors, he made an audience of one. He pursued the real person, spoke in love, a love compared to none. The person that he met here wasn't good, sorted, or blameless, but that's the version that he loves, imperfect in their messes. He never raised his voice here, but saw deep inside the heart and met with his love and compassion. The change began to start. Feeling loved and shown mercy, the human heart becomes set free and cries out in disbelief. How can he love me? And that's where it always starts. In the meeting place, in the outside in, with a real bruised and beating heart. And I guess what is sad to me is I do believe it should be the other way around, that whatever kind of mask we might be wearing on the outside world, that when we come into fellowship with one another, whether that's life group, whether that's here on a Sunday morning, whether that's community group, that we should be free to be vulnerable, to take off the mask. In that spoken word, it was the opposite. Jesus talked a lot about behind closed doors. He talked about the fact that actually God would meet with us when we shut the door and pray to him face to face, one to one, that the change would happen there. I wonder with Ananias and Sapphira whether that change just hadn't started yet whether that conversion of the heart hadn't really started. Interestingly, some commentaries talk about every other person in the kind of account of the early books of Acts are called fellow believers or followers. They are not called that. And I wonder if there is a sense that they'd got caught up in this new community. They'd got caught up in the activity. Maybe they were enjoying church, but actually God hadn't made that conversion, that beautiful salvation within their heart to know that they needed forgiveness. Maybe they were play-acting a little bit. And we can all have a bit of that within us, every one of us. Peter challenges Ananias. If you like, there's a revelation. God reveals the truth, and Peter is bold enough to say, Ananias, what made you think of doing such a thing? You've not just lied to human beings, but to God. And that can really hit us. Because whatever we're involved with that is posturing is not being real. Yes, it's not being real to one another. But most of all, we want to be real with God and authentic with him. In all our messes, as Nikki wrote in her monologue, 
that actually we want to have that brutal, be beating and bruised heart that she talked of to be able to come before God. So what do we need in order to take off our masks, to be real with each other and with God? Well, firstly, we need to fear God. We need accountability with one another and we need vulnerability, not always our favorite one. Fear of God and friendship with God come through Jesus in our lives. Accepting his love, his forgiveness, accepting that. Uh, those who are doing belonging to Riverside right now will be looking at the fact that our church here at Riverside is built on those values. We're built on the fact that we all need love, acceptance and forgiveness. There's a great quote here, quite a challenging quote by Thomas Adams, who says, The hypocrite certainly is a secret atheist, for if he did believe in God, he does not be so bold as to deceive him face to face. I read that this week, and it was one of those really kind of challenging ones, uh, that for all of us, you know, the most important thing of all is that we can look at God and say, I need your mercy, I need your grace, I need your forgiveness. And for Ananias and Sapphira, it was definitely money, but it was also lying that had got a hold of them. They weren't able to tell the truth, even to the early believers and the apostles. They weren't able to be real. Uh, and they were showing, they were making a big show of religiosity rather than relationship. The second thing is accountability. How do you and I guard our hearts against this sort of deception? How do we guard our hearts? How do we guard our marriages? How do we guard our jobs? How do we guard our giving, our serving, so that actually it is beautiful to God and it's being changed each day? I would believe, and I would certainly testify for me, it has been through loving, non-judgmental relationships and challenge. Some of you know I have two lodgers who are much, much more on it in terms of the planet. And uh, a while ago, I said a really stupid thing. I regretted it almost as soon as it was out of my mouth. I said, girls, can you challenge me where I'm not looking after the planet and your future quite enough? I don't know what. I think maybe John Hyde brought it on. I don't know. But I, I said that to them. And suddenly, I mean, I'm almost dressed in Hessian now, as you can see. Um, but actually, it started a whole kind of onslaught of change. So much so that I've challenged myself, and this is pathetic for some of you, but some of you will get it. I've challenged myself to not buy any new clothes for a year. So I'm sorry it's going to be quite boring for you guys, but I, I will mix it up a bit. I even went home to Kingston this week and three clothing shops have already shut. I'm not sure if that's related to me or not. My sister said that's your fault. Um, <laughs> I don't think it is. Uh, we're only at February. But... Um, that was something, and I've said to them, you are going to hold me to account, so much so that a parcel arrived with a bobble hat, a little hat for my nephew the other day, and uh, Jesse said, is that for you, Judy? Are you sorting, you know, you're ordering clothes online? Um, so actually, there's that accountability there. But actually, all of us need that sharpening. The problem within this marriage is they were colluding with each other rather than sharpening each other and giving each other loving challenge. And we can give people permission. I wonder who in your life has permission to challenge you lovingly. And can I just say a caveat here? Yes, Arthur's pointing at Margaret. Um, I, I think there's a caveat here. This is loving challenge, not taking a piece out of each other. And if we are going to be a church where we can take off our masks, we're going to have to really love each other well. 
Because if we make ourselves vulnerable and someone starts critiquing you, then you are never going to do that again. And as I travel around the country, I've seen people who are so hurt by church that it has become debilitating for them. And it doesn't represent the kind of love and grace and forgiveness that we long to show one another. So please, let's be vulnerable. Let's be accountable. But see the loving, non-judgmental relationships that God wants us to build. I thought this was funny because of the spelling and the lack of grammar, but also... It looks quite isolated. There's a sort of place that looks abandoned. I wouldn't trust anyone was there, would you, guarding me or coming to my rescue in the sea there. It looks dilapidated and deserted and bad grammar as well, um, to make matters much worse. But who is guarding us? Who in our crisis, who in our crises is like this? for Ananias and Sapphira. They were in crisis. They were living a false life. But when we come to respond today for ourselves, what does that look like for us? Is there a struggle going on in our lives that nobody knows about? Is there something that we've tried to keep the habit of and it just keeps coming back? And we'd love maybe some prayer, some accountability around that. Jesus said... Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. He said that when a whole group of people were baying for blood, were excited when they had a woman caught in adultery right there. They had the stones raised in their hands as was the horrible process of condemnation there back in the day in Jesus' time. And Jesus, instead of letting them have their way, says, if any of you are without sin, then you throw away your stone. You, you cast the first stone. And there is Jesus challenging hypocrisy, challenging the master right there and saying every single one of us is a sinner saved by grace not wanting to throw stones at others but wanting to check our own hearts Brené Brown has written a lot on vulnerability she's done some brilliant podcasts on it and uh, some TED talks as well and she's passionate about it and she says this vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage truth and courage aren't always comfortable but they are never weakness and I would say there there's a difference between openness and vulnerability Openness, we can be saying, oh yeah, I used to struggle with that, but I'm fine now. And we do a lot of that in church. We like the stories where we used to have a problem and now we don't have it anymore, don't we? We like those ones because uh, they're much easier to share. Yeah, I used to be terrible like that. Well, I mean, you know, actually vulnerability means I am still struggling with this right here, right now. And I need you as my brother. I need you as my sister to hold me up and to love me well again with God's love. That's real vulnerability. Saying that we've come out of it is lovely because it gives us hope and that's great. But vulnerability goes deeper still. Uh, I know this isn't a very clear copy, but some of you have been enjoying this book by Charlie Macquarie. And uh, he says this in a little drawing. What is the bravest thing you have ever said? Asked the boy. Help, said the horse. Uh, very simple, but so true. Sometimes the bravest thing we can say is, I need some help today, whatever that might be. 
And we're going to have an opportunity uh, to respond. We're going to have an opportunity to come and be prayed for. And as we've been saying week on, week out now, that actually we all need to come. This is not just for people in trouble. This is uh, that actually just for encouragement, for a refilling of God's spirit. But there may be other reasons to come today. There may be that actually you know, like Ananias and Sapphira, that actually there is a hidden place where you're not able to be generous, where you're perhaps struggling with a different sin to them. And maybe there's even fear of exposure of it. And yet God's loving hand, God's loving heart is for you and the people praying are for you as well. I was going to close uh, before we respond perhaps there, but I was going to close uh, just really with something that uh, King David wrote in the Bible. Uh, He uh, journaled a lot, as some of you will know, and he suffered terribly with the causes of adultery and the, uh, the kind of reactions to that in his own life. And he wrote Psalm 51, really based as a sort of journaling on the pain of the disruption, of the pain of being perhaps public and private, being separated. And he journaled about the, the pain he felt in having hurt God. He says this, and maybe we can use this as a little prayer as we come to respond. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing heart to sustain me. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The problem for Ananias and Sapphira were they went for the things first, and that covered up the need for righteousness. Jesus aligns it by saying, seek first his kingdom, surrender our hearts fully to him, and he, his arm is not too short to bless us in incredible ways. The tragedy of this story is God was longing to bless these people. And uh, it, it went so badly wrong for them because they couldn't be real with God or with each other. Uh, Anne Graham Lotz, Billy Graham's granddaughter, talked about, are you organically linked to the vine of Jesus Christ? Are you organically linked, as it says in John 15? abiding in Christ, or are you organizationally linked to him? And you've lost your abiding, you've lost your sap of the spirit. She says, are you like Spanish moss growing on the vine? Or are you grafted in to the vine itself? Our prayer today is that we're grafted into that vine to have that spirit, to have that joy.